John chapter 1. Uh, last week, we were looking at, looking at uh, an overall picture of John chapter 1. And uh, as we, and we were in John chapter 20. And the reason why uh, John wrote this book. John's book is different from the other three Gospels. The other three Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they talk about what Jesus did. But in John's Gospel, he wants to be very clear as to who Jesus is. And that's the reason why he wrote this book, so that we could truly know who Jesus really is that we might believe. That we might, when he talks about believe, it's fully trusting what the Word of God says about Jesus Christ. It is important that we get Jesus right, church, because there are a lot of false teachers out there who are preaching a false teacher, uh, a, a false theology of who Jesus is, and it, they are sending people to hell. And we're going to get into that at the end, all right? But it is important that we know who Jesus is accurately, according to God's Word. So we're going to look at the first 18 verses, and we're only going to get through verses 1 and 2 this morning. There, there are seven aspects of uh, Jesus' nature uh, that we're going to be looking at in this text, but I'm only going to get through two of them this morning. But let's read verses 1 through 18. This is John's prologue to his gospel. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, was with God, and the Word was... I'm getting ahead of myself. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God, whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word God became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. For from his fullness 
we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. The only God who sit, who is at the right, is, who is at the Father's side, He has made Him known. Church, it's not hard to find Jesus. If we have a heart that longs for God, to know God, we can discover, we can find Jesus. Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 13 says, You will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your hearts. And John wants us to know this morning, for us to find God, it starts with Jesus. And it ends with Jesus. Jesus is God. And he's going to show that to us very clearly uh, this morning. In John 1.1, John says, In the beginning was the Word. In the beginning was the Word. He uses the Word three times. Why didn't he use the word Jesus? In the beginning was Jesus. And Jesus was with God and Jesus was God. He's going to get to that, but he doesn't start with that. He starts with the word. And the word is the logos. In the Greek, it is the logos or the logos. logos. The logos is the Word, and the Word is Jesus. In verse 14, John says, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. But he starts with Logos. Why? Because John knows who he's writing to. Okay? He's writing from Ephesus, and Ephesus was influenced by Greek philosophy. And as he wrote, he knew that the Greeks would be reading his words. And the the Greeks understood the logos. Not the logos that we believe, but they understood that there was this word. That logos was a title for a creative force that was altogether other. This force was the most powerful force in the universe. It was was a force of intelligence. It was a force of order. You know, they could could observe the, 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 uh, the, the universe, they could observe the seasons, and uh, that they were predictable, and as things happened uh, the same way over and over again, there, the consistency, the Greeks knew that there was some kind of intelligent force that, w- that they, it was impossible get, to get to know, but they described this force as the Logos. So close, but yet so far away. And so the Greeks understood the word Logos, but even the Jews, who John was writing to as well, they understood 
the word logos. Because the word logos represented the word of the Lord. And it was through the Lord's words that he would reveal his nature, his wisdom, his will for our lives, truth, absolute truth. That as Jews, they were to take seriously and build their lives upon. This logos, this word from the Lord. And now John is telling us in verse 1 that this logos, this word, is a person. This word is Jesus. So let's again read verses 1 and 2. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was, was, was God, and He was in the beginning with God. Verse 14, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as the only Son from the Father. Church, the Word that... Um, that John is so careful to describe here is the person of Jesus Christ. Look at verse 18. Jesus, or John wants us to know this beyond a shadow of a doubt. He says this, No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, He has made Him known. In that verse, church, Paul, or John, is describing two persons. There's one God, he's the only God, but he's by the Father's side. So both the person by the Father's side and the Father are one God. There shouldn't be any confusion about this. We can't make this mistake. Jesus is God. In these first 18 verses, and John is trying to help us to know who he really is. So we're going to go through these verses. And as we go through them, there are seven aspects to uh, Jesus' nature, who he is in this text. The first one he wants us to see is that Jesus is our eternal God. Our eternal God. Again, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. I don't know if you see it or not, but that word was is a really important word. Okay? That word, that Greek word for was is ame, and it is a perfect tense verb, which means to be or exist. There's another Greek word for the word was, and it's gnami. But that's not the word, the Greek word that John uses. He uses the word ami. If he had used gnomi, it would have read, 
in the beginning, the Word came into existence. But John wants us to know very clearly that before the beginning of time, when God created Jesus, the Word, the Logos, already was. He wasn't someone who was created. He was before creation. And that means that He has been there. He is the God of all eternity. He has no beginning. He has no end. Jesus has always been eternal. Was. He has always been. He has always existed. That's what John is describing here. He is, Jesus is a pure being. He has always been. Jesus did not become God. God did not create Jesus. Jesus was there before time began. He already existed. But you know what? The cults don't believe this. Word of faith, prosperity, gospel preachers, they don't believe this. For the cults, they believe that Jesus was a created being. That they don't believe that he was God, that he was part of the Trinity. They don't believe this according to the text. And then your prosperity, uh, word of faith preachers too. They believe that uh, Jesus was born a man. When the Bible says that uh, Jesus gave up everything in Philippians chapter 2 and came to earth, he gave up his Godhead. And he was born a man just like you and I. And it was only at his baptism when he was anointed by the Father. Through the gift of the Holy Spirit. I feel like I'm cutting out here, Paul. Can you turn me up a little bit? Am I on? Okay. It was at at that baptism that he was anointed that he became God. Church, that is false. And the reason why prosperity, word of faith, gospel preachers want to say that is because we have the same ability as men, to become gods if we are anointed by Him. And we can do the very same things that Jesus... We can be just like God. My friends, that is wrong. We're going to get to that in a minute. But that's what cults, cults believe, word of faith, preachers believe... That's not what the Word of God says. Jesus is the eternal God. In the beginning was the Word. In the beginning, the Word already existed. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And in verse 2, He was in the beginning with God. It's really important, church, that we get this. That Jesus Christ is the eternal God. 
Not only is he the eternal God, but he is our creator God. Verse 3. All things were made through him, and without him, not anything made, not anything made that was made. Jesus made it all. Now, that word, in the beginning, that kind of sounds familiar, doesn't it? Where else have we heard the words, in the beginning? Genesis 1.1. Let's turn back there for a minute, shall we? And see what Genesis says. Genesis 1.1 says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Uh-oh. Do we have a problem here? Here in Genesis 1.1, it says that God created the heavens and the earth. But according to John, in John chapter 1 and verse 14, when the, the Word became flesh, it's very clear that he's talking about Jesus. In verse 3 of John chapter 1, it's Jesus who created everything. So is the Bible conflicting here? Let's look some more. Colossians chapter 1. You know, Paul in the New Testament tells us that Jesus created everything. Not only the Apostle John, but Paul says this in Colossians chapter 1. You can turn there and uh, I'm going to read verse 15. Colossians 1.15. Paul says, He is the image, speaking of Jesus, He is the image of the invisible God the firstborn of all creation. Now, let me just pause there for a moment. Does that mean that Jesus was created? No. No, he is, it's just, it's telling us there that Jesus is the first among many. He is the Son of God. And again, Jesus has been there before the beginning. It's just that this is representing that Christ is the Son of God. It's not that He is the firstborn of all creation. He's, all, he, he's, not, he's never been created. Going on, For by Him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through Him and for Him. And so the New Testament is clear that Jesus is the creator of all things. And yet in Genesis chapter 1, it says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So how do we reconcile these two, um, two thoughts? Well, we need to... Re- some people try to reconcile it as, in saying, Well, God, was, God did some parts of creation, and Jesus did other parts of creation. Maybe God did days 1, 3, 5, and 7. Jesus did 2, 4, and 6. And that is a no, no, no. God and Jesus are both one in the same. same. And Jews understood this clearly. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4 says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord 
is one. So there is only one God. But others think that, um, well, you know, God can be three persons, but not all at the same time. And so we see the Father uh, in the Old Testament, and we see Jesus in the New Testament, and we see the Holy Spirit at Pentecost and following through today. Maybe that's what was happening here in this, in this text. No, that is modalism. All right? And when it comes to the Trinity, and this is what John is trying to convey to us this morning as well, that he is teaching us about Jesus being a part of the triune Godhead. And when it comes to the Trinity, there is one God in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But it's, we're, not, we're not talking about a plurality of gods here. We're only talking about one, one God. We are a, a monotheistic um, faith. We believe in one God who has manifested himself in three different persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now let's go back to Genesis chapter 1 for a second. And let's look at that word God. In the beginning, God. That word for God in that text is the word Elohim. All right? And it means mighty one, strong one. But you know what else? It's plural. It's not singular. And in fact, as you read through John or Genesis chapter 1, we see the Holy Spirit here in this text as well. In verse uh, 2, into verse 2, And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And here's what I want us to see as well in verse 3. And God said. Who's the said part? The word, the logos. And, and according to John and Paul, in John and, and Colossians, Jesus, by his word, the word, the God's word, spoke creation into existence. So church, we see the Trinity here in Genesis chapter 1. We also, we also see it in verse um, 26. <clears throat> On the sixth day of creation, the Bible says in verse six, then 26, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness. Who's he talking to? He hasn't created Adam and Eve yet. He's speaking to the Godhead. Let us make man in our image after our likeness. The the plurality of the Godhead. That's the mystery of the Trinity here, church. 
And John wants us to get this. Jesus created it all. And Jesus was with God before time began, before even the beginning. And Jesus was God. And all things were made by him. I want to talk a moment about the doctrine of the Trinity. Because the Trinity communicates the intimate nature of God, church. And we need to understand the Trinity. When it comes to uh, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, God wants us to know God is concerned and conscientious of every detail of our life. God isn't this unknown force, this intelligence that has is not a person. No. God is in, intimate with all of our ways. You know, He's not how the deists would describe. You know, that in the beginning God created, He just kind of wound up the, the world and just let it be. Nope, that's not God. God created it. God came into our time, knows what it's like for what you and I go through today. He went through it all and without sin. And when he ascended to the right hand of the Father, guess what? He sent his Holy Spirit. He sent his presence to dwell among us. He is an intimate God. The Gnostics, those who were influenced by Greek philosophers, they believed that this intelligent design was good, that it was spirit, it was good, but it could not ever cross the threshold of matter and where we live because matter represented evil and God couldn't inhabit evil. And so they were totally totally separate. But in John's word, John is conveying to us that God is intimate, that he crossed the threshold to be with us. Verse 14, And the word became uh, flesh and dwelt among us. The word became flesh. The word became meat. Carne. Like carne asada. You know, Jesus became flesh. Became one of us and dwelt among us. This creator God became personal. And so we worship not an all other God. We worship an all-knowing God who came to us and is with us. 
and will never leave us. The doctrine of the Trinity is reflects the intimacy of God's nature and his presence with you and I. Are you doubting that these days? John doesn't want you to doubt. God hasn't abandoned you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. If you are a child of God, you will always be a son. I love my boys. But you know, if I, if I get in a conflict with them one of these days and they don't want to have anything to do with me as their father, guess what? I can't stop being their father. I will always have that relationship with them. And that's the way it is as God's children. We will never be separated from our Father if we, our lives, are in Christ. So that's the first part of the Trinity that I want you to understand. But the second thing I want you to see it is that a doctrine of the Trinity affirms the substitutionary nature of the atonement. What do I mean by that? To have peace with God, church, requires a perfect sacrifice. Not just any sacrifice. It requires a God sacrifice. I love the story of Abraham and Isaac back in Genesis. God wanted to paint a picture not only to Abraham and Isaac, but to us today. God told Abraham, Abraham, I want you to take your son and I want you to go to Moriah, the Mount Moriah, and I want you to sacrifice your son for me. This was God's, this was Abraham's only son. Oh, he had another son, Ishmael, but that was not the seed of promise. The seed of promise was in the life of Isaac. And God is telling Abraham, Abraham, I want you to sacrifice your one and only son. And so Abraham obeys. He gets wood, he gets fire, and he starts to make the trek. And then he, some people um, had gone with him, and he, he left them uh, at uh, a certain place and says, Stay here, I'm going to take my son, and we're going to make a sacrifice. And I am going to return with my son. <laughs> By faith, Abraham knew that God was going to provide. And so he goes up that, that mountaintop, As they're walking along, Isaac and Abraham, Isaac says, Dad, we got the wood, we got the fire, where's the sacrifice? See, Abraham hasn't told Isaac that he is to be the sacrifice. But Abraham says, Son, God will provide. They get up there on top of that mountain. You know, it's amazing about Isaac. He doesn't fight his father. He's carrying the wood. He's got the fire. 
Abraham builds the altar. Surely it's clicking by now what that Isaac is the sacrifice. But he's not fighting his dad. He climbs upon the sacrifice. Maybe dad tied him down. I don't know. But Bible says that Abraham raised his knife and was about to sacrifice him. And the Bible says, and the angel of the Lord. You know who the angel of the Lord was? The pre-incarnate Christ. The sacrifice that was going to be down the road. The angel of the Lord said, Abraham, no. I see that your heart is totally committed to God. And off in the distance was a ram that God provided for the sacrifice. But that is a picture of the sacrifice that that was yet to come in God's Son, Jesus. Adam's seed that came through the generations that was the would become the Son of God who would be the perfect sacrifice. In church, it required a perfect sacrifice. If Jesus was just a man who became a God, and we as men have the ability to become a God if we receive the anointing like some of our Word of Faith preachers have? It wouldn't have been... If that was Jesus, He would not have been a perfect sacrifice. And we would still have to do better to hopefully get saved. It would still be up to us. And you know what that is? Religion. And all these cults who say they believe in Jesus, Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, it's not good enough. They still have a part to play. And that is works, church. And that is not the gospel. We are saved by grace through faith in what Jesus has already done for us. It is so critical that the price, the substitutionary price that was paid for you and I on Calvary's cross was God Himself. That's the only perfect an acceptable sacrifice that leads to our justification. And we must understand this to appreciate the doctrine of the Trinity. One man said this, to try to understand the Trinity, you will surely lose your mind. It's a hard... It's a hard concept to try to explain to somebody else, okay? But then he says this, Fail to understand the Trinity, and you will surely lose 
your soul. So my question to us this morning is, do you know Jesus? Do you believe, like John says, do you believe beyond shadow of a doubt that Jesus is the eternal God? He's always been. He is a pure being that was never created. And then do you believe that Jesus is the creator God? There's a lot of people in the world today who are following false teachers who think they are Christians. But this is what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 7. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, Jesus says, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Church, we can't afford to get this wrong. We gotta get it right. And when we get it, get it right, it's not always gonna be popular. And there's a lot of popular teachers out there who do not believe the truth or are proclaiming the truth, and they are sending a lot of people through the wide open door because they don't know our Jesus. My friend, Jesus is there for you. John wants us to believe this. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. Help us to understand it more. Father, I'm grateful for this wise apostolic sage in John, who before he left this earth as the last apostle, wanted to make sure that we fully understood who Jesus really is. So Lord, continue to teach us. Thank you for your truth. Help us to understand, comprehend it more. If there's one here this morning, here in this this place or listening online, whom is questioning God's presence in their life, I want to encourage you to answer the question, who is Jesus? Do you believe that he's God, who he said he was? Do you believe that he created all things? And there's nothing created that wasn't created by him?
and he created you, and he knows your name. He knows every star and planet in the universe. He created all those. But my friend, he created you. And he knew your name before you were born. Trust him with your life. Call upon him saying, God, Thank you for dying in my place. I know that you love me. Forgive me of all my sin. God, I believe that you forgive me. God, help me to live for you, to be obedient to you by faith. I know my works can't save me. It's only, Jesus, what you did for me. And I believe. And my friend, if you prayed that prayer, the Bible says that you become a child of God. Jesus is the creator God, and Jesus gives new birth to his spiritual children. You are in him, and he is in you. And he'll never leave you. Grow in him. Thank you, Father for this time in your word. And we long for the opportunities ahead as we walk through the pages of John. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Well, I trust that God has spoken to your heart this morning. And uh, hope you have a good week, that you don't walk in fear, but you walk by faith not by sight. There's a, lot of wor- there's a lot of fear in our world today. But you know what? Our lives are in Christ. And we, just, we must trust Him each and every moment. God's got it all under control. And He is going to get us through this. Amen? Amen. Amen.